Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I want you to know that I Hello and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by The Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go away you fur. With me this week is Andy, Gopher Guy 5 I'd just like to say that I have withdrawn from the transfer portal and have decided to stay here for at least another semester, so you're welcome. And you street. Hey, y'all. Andy, you aren't going to the NHL? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm much more of an ECHL, you know, I'm one of those, you know, I, I want, I want to play in Cincinnati and, and just show up on dollar beer night and have, have the guys toss me a couple of beers while I'm on the ice. That'd be fun, right? Uh, that's basically what happens. Yes. That and large towers, many, many, many towers of beer cans. Uh, speaking of what could have been a towering win, uh, the Gophers almost pulled off a big road upset against Michigan State tonight. Uh, that game has just wrapped. Uh, the Gophers lose by two. Uh, and, you know, I'm frankly quite impressed. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to start sit here and talk about moral victories because whatever. But this is a game an undermanned Minnesota team should lose. And frankly, it should lose by more than two. Uh, and yet here we are uh, playing another Big Ten r- ranked number ten Michigan State ranked team tough. And Alex, I'm I'm just interested in understanding what you think is is going on here. Obviously, as we all predicted, Minnesota had twelve offensive rebounds to Michigan State six. Uh, the other thing, though, looking at this game, the story of the game really does look you know just a two point victory. Both mid. Minnesota and Michigan made the exact same number of field goals. They made the exact same number of threes. Michigan State has two more made free throws. That's the the game difference. Uh, They overshot 64% from the free throw line, which unfortunately is not going to get it done, especially on the road. But certainly early in this game, uh, the Michigan... Michigan State opened up a reasonably decent lead. You know, they had a double-digit point lead at one point. They more or less, as you said, are a better team. Top to bottom, Michigan State is a better team right now than Minnesota. And I think, as I said in the the last recap after Minnesota's last loss, that there's going to be an expectation pretty regularly during this Big Ten season that we're going to see the same pattern. And the pattern fundamentally is Minnesota does not have the horses to play against, well, frankly, the Big Ten mid and above, but definitely not the elite like Michigan State. So that's one. And so that's why I'm not surprised that they lost this game. But the second thing, which we have now seen in most games this season, but especially in these road games, obviously the road win against Michigan and now here this road loss against Michigan State, Minnesota might have themselves a good one in Ben Johnson. I mean, he certainly seems to be you know, calling great out of bounds plays, putting the guys in a position to do well. It's uh, really quite nice to see. He's been, and again, 
I have also said the same thing that I expected would happen for non-conference the conference season, which is that you let a lot of really smart people take a deep look at Minnesota for a while, and you're going to expose a lot of flaws. But, man, Ben Johnson is calling heck of a game. And admittedly, Ben Johnson is also not actually playing the game. The players are doing a really good job on that front. EJ Stevens tonight had himself a ball game. I uh, came out, balled out, uh, finished with 18 on the night, had a really solid efficiency rating, was only, only thing couldn't do was unfortunately make some threes tonight. But otherwise, second leading scorer on the team, Eric Curry, who unfortunately, it's still early, we're recording this immediately after the game, so there isn't any long-term prognosis. Eric Curry late in the game fell and was clutching a lower body injury. Uh, it does not seem great off the get, and obviously if Eric Curry is out for any extended action, my prognosis on whether or not Minnesota will win another game for a while goes down. But Curry had 19 tonight, was playing a fantastic game in 30 minutes. Peyton Willis played the full game, more or less. Uh, Jamison Battle played almost the full game, more or less. So we saw a very, very small rotation tonight. There are There is talent on this team. It's not quite to the same level as Michigan State. But the reason why this is a two-point game is, frankly, their game planning is working. They have veteran players who are making shots at times they need to, making great defensive plays when they need to. Peyton Willis, for example, had three steals tonight. It's a fantastic defensive performance on him for him. And Ben Johnson is calling a lot of really good plays that get them in positions to make shots. Now, of course, eventually the players have to execute and make shots. You can be the greatest coach in the world if your players are raining threes no matter what. But I have been very happy for this season, even with my very low expectations, that that isn't something that was, oh, we started in the first five or six games, and then people would start getting a scout on the Gophers, and then the sideline out-of-bounds plays, the after-timeout plays, baseline out-of-bounds plays, those shots would kind of dry up. That hasn't happened so far this year. I haven't done a deep dive into the specific play-by-play stats, but my very 30,000 bird's-eye view suggests that Minnesota is shooting a fairly ridiculous efficiency rating on sideline out-of-bounds, after-timeout plays, and baseline out-of-bounds, which is the most in-game thing that a coach can do in terms of drawing up a play. And so regularly, there's a bag of tricks that Ben Johnson and his staff are pulling out, which is great to see. Uh, just to break in with good news, or as good as it can get, apparently Ben Johnson in his postgame media said Eric Curry day-to-day with an ankle injury. So that would that would assume that it was a fairly normal, uh, you know, minor sprained ankle or something like that, and he should be back relatively quickly. That is definitely good in particular because it has nothing related to his knee, which would be yeah, the, damn straight. <laughs> would be the thing that would be far more worrisome for any long-term prognosis. But even so, I mean, there is a clear difference between Eric Curry and Charlie Daniels, who I like and has been giving solid backup minutes, but is not Eric Curry's level and is not going to be a regular contributor. So if any of Minnesota's starting five is out for any extended period of time, they go for simply or too thin. This goes back to what we expected at the beginning of this season, that with the roster turnover, Minnesota just is not deep enough and unfortunately right now is not yet talented enough to compete at the upper echelons of the Big Ten in terms of winning games. 
But what we are also seeing consistently, and I think Michigan State presents a bit of a better matchup for Minnesota. Michigan State doesn't have a Kofi Cockburn kind of player who can just maul you out of the way. And so Minnesota's lack of size in the front court isn't exposed quite the same way as when playing Michigan State. But if Minnesota isn't just out-muscled, they can hang with lots and lots of teams. And again, be annoying. The mantra of this season, be annoying. All right, well, I mean, it's kind of, do you have, uh, I guess, without knowing for sure what Eric Curry is going to do, um, you know, it's hard to make prognosis uh, and, and guess guess about the future. So I think we move on to uh, the women. The women went to Madison and got a win, which is what you're supposed to do in Madison when you're playing uh, the Badgers. Uh, the Badger uh, women's team is is not good, I think is the technical term. Extremely Indy, bad. Extremely bad. I'm sorry. I was I was off with my technical term. Andy, can you uh, give us a quick recap of the win over the extremely bad Badgers? Yeah, the Gophers got a uh, 82-66 win in Madison. Now Lindsey Whale in 4-0 all-time against the Badgers in Madison. Um, yeah, and it was a really well-rounded game. Uh Cotty Sissoko led the Gophers with 16 points, but uh, Deja Winters, Scariscalia both had 14. Uh, you know, Jasmine Paul had nine. Uh, Rose Michaud ended up with eight. Uh, Gadeva Hubbard with nine. So they really spread the scoring around, which is nice. Um, but I mean, this team is is a is a middling team. I mean, they're going to have to go on a run here if they're going to make anything. Uh, really happen. Uh, by the way, nice to see Lindsey Whalen back on the bench tonight after missing the last two games after having an uh, emergency appendectomy last week, which nobody ever wants to uh, to go through, but it sounds like she came through fine and just missed two games. Uh, that would be a win at Rutgers and then a loss at home against number 10 uh, Maryland last Sunday, which, I mean, Maryland is is good, and the Gophers are like we said a middling team. Uh, with the win tonight, they moved to nine and eight overall, two and three in the Big Ten, um, and and they're in the middle of the pack. I mean, they're gonna have to they're gonna have to do some things, and unfortunately for them, their schedule is not really easy the next couple of weeks. They they get Ohio State at home uh, Saturday evening, five p.m. tip from the barn, and then their next game is hosting I think number three in the country right now, Iowa. Uh, they're top five for sure. Uh, sophomore Caitlin Clark is the best player in the country, not named. Uh, well, in terms of in, not injured. Cur- cur- yeah. the, the, the best player in the country currently not injured. You're right. Uh, you know, so, but, so, uh, good luck to those games at, at two in a row at home. But, um, you know, this team. <sighs> You know, you'd like to see in in year four of the Whalen era that they're doing things a little bit more uh, accomplished, but they're still sort of where they are. They're a middle middle of the pack team. Uh, you know, all four of their uh, all four of their recruits were named uh, Midwest nominees for the McDonald's All American Game today. So there's a there's a positive. Uh, they definitely have some reinforcements coming in, but. Um, you know the Gophers have got to they got to do things in the Big Ten here. You know two and three through through five games. You still got thirteen conference games left before the conference tournament, and I think this team needs to finish probably at least, you know, I'd say nine and nine in the conference. Uh, anything less than that's going to be a little disappointing. But they still have plenty of time to uh, to work that out. 
Well, working things out, football, I, you know, this is the time of the year when I would normally expect football to calm just a little bit, but then I forget the transfer portal. You know, transfer portal is a thing. So we've got transfer portal news. We've got the Big Ten changes up everybody's schedule news. We've got coaches because uh, I'm realizing just checking back, we've had a lot of coaching turnover since the last Sky U podcast last week, literally just a week ago. Uh, so let's get through it. Uh, in the transfer portal, we've got um, two uh, Power 5 transfers. Uh, Darnell Jeffries, defensive tackle from Clemson, transferring to Minnesota. And just announced tonight, Michigan offensive guard, offensive lineman Chuck uh, Feligia. I'm going to go with Feligia. Uh, who has started uh, 35-ish games at Michigan, uh, transferring from Michigan to the Gophers. Uh, I am actually pretty pleased with both these picks. They're not, neither of them are, you know, we're not picking up uh, guys who were uh, the most dominant player on their line, but when you're picking up a a power five guy uh, to come in and, and, you know, at the very least provide depth. And in the case of uh, uh, Chuck Feligia, probably, you know, compete for a starting spot for sure. um, I think that's a pretty good use of the portal. Yeah, no, definitely for sure. I mean, uh, you know, Jeffries definitely is a position to need. Obviously, Minnesota lost a whole bunch of their defensive line depth after the season. And uh, so he'll come in and definitely play in the rotation with some of the younger guys at, at D-tackle. Um, you know, whether he'll be the, the Niles Pickney level or, or something a little less, will only time will tell. But uh, just having another good veteran uh, somebody who's been there, somebody who's been there with a, a, with a great team in the locker room can't help. But yeah, the, the Feligia, uh, that one sort of came out of, out of thin air. I mean, we admittedly aren't the recruiting experts, but I don't think anybody heard any whispers about this one until it was announced tonight. Um, and, you know, you, you take away a couple of big boys and you add a big boy, 6'6", 340. Uh, as you said, he he's played in 39 career games for Michigan. He has only he's only started, I think, um, 12. But still, mm, sorry, yeah. If I said started, apologies there. That's way off. But still, you add him, and now you add Quinn Carroll, and it's like all of a sudden, you know, we were talking about this offensive line, has, and still has questions, admittedly, because everything's got to mesh together and things like that, but. All of a sudden, you're adding a lot of quality big boys and that have you know decent years of experience and and things like that, and it's like, okay, we can uh, you know we can we can start putting things together, and this offense might not take as big of a step back as we potentially thought. So, um, no, I I definitely like uh, I like these last couple of guys, and I think. You know, amazingly, PJ Fleck and company are still trying to trying to still fill some holes. I know they're they're still potentially looking at another defensive lineman, and they're still looking at um, some other spots where they can bring people in. So, uh, I I still don't think this will be the the last time we get to use the sweet uh, transfer portal graphic yeah. on the website. I was gonna say we have the sweet graphic now, PJ. You gotta really keep bringing it home for us. But uh, yeah, only only time will tell, and and you know at least we're you know I guess you know obviously we said the uh, the transfer 
porter giveth and the transfer portal taketh away we we've gone over you know a lot of the players who have left minnesota uh kai thomas being the only one i think left who hasn't really decided where he's going to end up uh the the, the two uh, gopher backup quarterbacks announced earlier this week uh jacob clark uh is headed to missouri state and and zach anastad to illinois state so those two will face one another in the missouri valley and we can obviously root for them as uh, as much as we can whenever they both have to face north dakota state um <laughs> and then uh, it was announced uh, curtis dunlap has finally made decision and he's headed to Rutgers so the uh, incestuous relationship between the uh, PJ Flex staff and the Greg Schiano staff continues yet again you know street I've been trying to mull over where I think Minnesota falls in this transfer portal world and it seems to me on balance that you know separate from who you lose which is a product of so many other factors but when looking at players to bring in it feels like a a program at Minnesota's level is kind of in a position to really kind of get the best of all worlds. Uh, you're still prominent enough to have quality lower level FCS um, talent want to hop up to you, uh, but you're also still you're you're below a, you know the Alabamas, the Michigans, the Ohio States, the uh, the Clemsons of the world, but not so far below that players who want to leave those programs. Uh, when they are no longer able to stockpile blue chips, can end up in your uh, on your roster. You know, I, I feel like you know, two years in, it's not like uh, PJ's you know kind of gotten quite the Mel Tucker experience, but uh, still uh, a pretty solid two years of uh, work in the portal right now. I think it's always important that we go to me to have conversations about recruiting. Yes, I would agree with that. I would agree with all of that. I think too. Beyond that first point is PJ Fleck has done another thing that has been used for the transfer portal, which is the players who have come in via the transfer portal have not only been put into the lineup, but they have also gone pro. And that is nothing to sneeze at. Of course, Williamson, for example, there's a reasonably good chance I think that Jack Gibbons will see some... Uh, at least a cup of coffee somewhere, maybe on a practice squad, not necessarily being drafted. So that also gives people who are thinking, what's my one-year rental or maybe two-year rental? I want to move up to another level of competition. I'm going to start here. And I suspect that is something that has been useful. I would also hope to some degree that when thinking about the portal, I would imagine that what you're looking for predominantly is not to fill via the portal in football. I think basketball might be a little bit of a different story in that because of the movement of players in basketball, because of the short timeline of really top players, you know, grabbing someone from the transfer market, Eric Musselman, Chris Beard, etc., that can be a very successful path to win. I don't know if that's true in football. I don't think that you can really make your bones just trying to hit in the transfer portal over and over again. But what I think you can do in football is really pick your spots as to what you want to fill with the transfer portal. And one of the things that PJ Fleck and his staff are unquestionably good at is identifying that talent. They don't always win the recruiting battles, but they're good at identifying it. 
So the same kind of pitch, all of the complaints that sort of go to PJ, you know, his fast clocks, making people decide, all this other stuff, putting pressure, etc. I think in the transfer portal, when you only have that compressed period of time to sign people, really also plays into Minnesota's hands. So I think they're a good landing spot. The program is in a position right now where you should expect to be competing for a division championship every year. So you're not going to like, I don't know, Troy or North Alabama. You're going to a place where if things really hit like they should, you're playing in a New Year's Day bowl game. Maybe you have an outside shot at some postseason play that actually matters. Those things are all really positive and that's something good for the program going forward. Ultimately, the best thing for Minnesota is to keep hitting and these sort of pick and choose transfers as opposed to, well, let's get like eight or 10 guys. I would also like to point out that I don't really think Minnesota's lost very much in the transfer portal. And that I think is as important as what they're bringing in. Yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, Kai Thomas is probably the most impactful loss. And even there, they could definitely be fine. They may not be, but they're not looking at a sudden immediate deficit, an automatic gap. Um, there should be enough talent returning and that potentially, you know, that, that can be filled. So, yeah, I'd agree with all that. Well, I guess if we want to talk coaching transfer portal, quote-unquote, uh, let's just recap uh, what's what happened since the last time we were talking on the pod. Uh, Rutgers hired uh, Joe Harismaic uh, as their defensive coordinator. Um, Clay Patterson, uh, tight end coach, headed over to Colorado to pick up the role as passing game coordinator and I believe still tight end coach uh, for them. Uh, moving uh, along with uh, Mike Sanford Jr., who is now the offensive coordinator at Colorado. And Indiana hired Chad Wilt, uh, defensive line coach, a way to be their defensive coordinator and linebackers coach. Uh, so those are uh, three you know, fairly impactful losses. Um, all three of those coaches were definitely uh, proven at, with some recruiting acumen. Um, and, of course, all, all three uh, particularly Patterson and Harris Mayak, uh, uh, and I'm no, I'm butchering that guy's name, but whatever. Uh, he's not here anymore. Um, had you know proven their coaching chops, and I think I think probably uh, you, you could say the same for for Clay Patterson. Uh, f- as far as replacements go, we're still looking for a D line coach. Um, we've uh, the Gophers have hired two assistant coaches, uh, one in house. And one from Western Michigan that might as well be an in-house. And Andy, I'm I'm interested in your take of what you feel, uh, how how Minnesota has done in terms of what they've lost and what they've gained. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think we we all were pretty happy with uh, with the way that Joe Harrisonyak and and Clay Patterson and, and Chad Wilt had had coached up their various units, and so um, you know, it's it's a little disappointing to see them go, but obviously, uh, for the most part. They're, I mean, and you, know, you can even argue that Patterson is is all they're all leaving for for higher promoted jobs. So I mean, nobody's moving laterally. They're they're getting promoted. I mean, you'd think last year the Minnesota defense now had three Big Ten defensive coordinators on staff. That's pretty damn impressive. Um, 
Yeah, so they uh, they promoted Danny Collins. Who Danny Collins had been uh, a defensive analyst and had done some interim coaching during some of the bold and coach transitions. Um, he apparently is a is a huge favorite of the players. I mean, they they announced officially that he got the job, and in the Gopher Instagram page, I saw Kamal Martin was thrilled. I saw Coney Durr was thrilled. Um, so the players really, really like him. So I think from a coaching standpoint, they're going to be in a pretty good shape there. Um, it's going to be the recruiting, you know, replacing Harris Simiak, who arguably was one of, if not the best recruiting uh, coaches on this staff. And so whether he can step into that role that he's never performed before and, and sort of, you know, live up to that uh, expectation will be something we'll have to watch. Uh, tight ends coach, they, uh, replaced Patterson with Greg Harbaugh Jr. Uh, actually, I think it's Harbaugh, not Harbaugh. That should tell you that he is, in fact, not related to uh, the famous Harbaugh family, Greg Harbaugh. Um, but he's been uh, at Minnesota a couple of times. He was a grad assistant with the Gophers, and then he was a uh, offensive quality control coach, and he's bounced back and forth with them. Uh, P.J. Flex knows him and he was most recently the last two years the wide receivers coach at western michigan which um, he did a fairly good job because western michigan got a a wide receiver to the nfl in the second round last year and they're going to have another guy probably drafted in the top two or three rounds this year so uh the guy definitely seems like he can coach again once again it will be the question of can he recruit um which to be honest we probably won't be able to tell for a cycle or so here um it's also, you know, something to look at that, that P.J. Fleck probably didn't break the bank on either one of those hires, meaning there's a potential that he might be able to go poach a more expensive uh, D-line coach here um, and bring somebody in with maybe a little bit bigger name or for, you know, a, or a Power 5 coach moving over to a different Power 5 school. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, we haven't heard anything on that, but it'll be interesting to see who we end up uh hiring for that position, especially because they're taking a defensive line that obviously has gone through some significant traditions. We've got a lot of young talent. Uh, whoever is coaching just has to really get in there and, and mold them and try and make them a, a quality uh, Big Ten unit. You know, Street, I'd, I'd have to say if I was to peg your stance on position coaches moving on, it's shrug position coaches are replaceable correct Uh, is there anything about this situation that has you concerned or are you mostly in it'll work itself out who's the offensive coordinator now uh it's kirk shirak who's the defensive coordinator Uh, i believe it's still joe rossi who's the head coach pj fleck the last time i checked yeah i don't care So no worries then is what I'm hearing. Look, certainly there are – the reason you have position coaches is not because you can't replace one position coach with another position coach in terms of coaching. Obviously, yes, some people are better at coaching positions than others. Everyone has talent. Predominantly at the college level, position coaches are recruiters. So to some sense, could you be concerned in the sense that you have lost good recruiters? Sure. Do I think that that is probably wildly overrated? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think the, especially with the fact that coaches are moving frequently and especially moving to get promoted is also suggesting from a pipeline perspective that PJ Fleck is a play, is a coach and an organization where you can come in, be successful and take that next step. And the only way you can take that next step is if you do good things in the organization so people would like you. 
Thus far, he seems to be consistently hitting on that a lot more than he's missing. I will trust the head of the organization to identify and find new solid talent, and I will not care very much otherwise. I think my stance is pretty similar to yours. Uh, until proven otherwise, his only real misses seem to be in the coordinator realm, uh, not with the position coaches. And since we're talking about position coaches, I get it. I have one word for you. Stickers. You need stickers from Homefield Apparel. I have recently purchased uh, basically their entire supply, or at least their entire line of stickers. There's a fantastic Tulane Green Wave. They now have a Slippery Rock University, Rocky the Rock, in some sort of fur coat with a pennant. Go to homefieldapparel.com to check it out. You're going to love these stickers. And of course, there's all the comfortable fantastic apparel i uh, also gave some of that for christmas to my family and uh if you want to ring in the new year with some comfortable sweatshirts homefieldapparel.com is the place to go make sure to use code daily gopher at checkout for 15 percent off your first order that's homefieldapparel.com code daily gopher all right schedules the Big Ten, I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure how this balanced anything out. I don't really care. All I know is it affected Minnesota because Minnesota plays in the Big Ten and the schedule now looks different than it used to. Obviously, non-conference, first three games of the year remain entirely the same because those are not Big Ten games. Uh, beyond that, though, a lot changed. Uh, the only two games that remained the same were the home game against Northwestern in the middle of November, November 12th, and the Away game to end the year the Saturday after Thanksgiving at Wisconsin. Everything else got jumbled up. Um, To me, it feels like the most impactful things are Iowa now moving uh, to the second-to-last game, November 19th. Uh, Nebraska also moves back. Uh, They were at the end of October. Now they're at the beginning of November. And what you end up with is a final four-game stretch of just Big Ten West games, uh, most importantly the last Three of the last four being the quadrangle of hate. Um, you know, Street, do you have any real... What does this do to you, seeing this schedule, other than uh, maybe you have to have a buy on a different week? I've gotten very excited to hear Andy give his detailed thoughts on the schedule because I don't have strong ones. Other than yes, I think it is preferable to have a buy later in the season rather than earlier in the season, especially because that end of the season, any kind of injury, you don't have that extra week to get guys uh, healed up and ready to go. Football is a vicious, violent game that will almost certainly not exist in 60 years in its current form. So having an extra week, it tends to be useful when every time your players run into each other, it's the force of a car crash. Andy, hit me with your thoughts. No, I mean, looking at the schedule, I mean, obviously... Basically, this all changed because during the 2020 COVID season, the a few matchups got mixed up because they only played an eight-game season. And, and so the Big Ten basically had to change a few things. I think one of them basically being so that Penn State and, and Illinois didn't play three years in a row or something like that. And so switching the six games around that they needed to switch ended up basically meaning that 
almost the entire conference had their schedules thrown out because once you move this game, then you have to move that game and blah, 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 blah. So um, long story short, yeah, Minnesota, of their nine conference games, seven got moved at, at some point around. Um, the biggest difference, as you said, now the bye, is, uh, the bye is after week six instead of after week nine where it originally was. So you've got seven weeks in a row after the bye with no breaks and and now with the quadrangle of hate games all being at the end of November, uh, there's no there's no escaping that. Um, the other thing, Minnesota generally has come out of their bye playing one of their best games of the year. Originally, it was, they were going to head to Michigan State the week after the bye. Now they head to Illinois the week after the bye, um, which you could argue and say, well, hopefully they should be able to beat Illinois without having to do bye prep work. But we all saw how well that worked out this fall. So. Um, yeah, moving Iowa from week four to to week uh, week eleven is a uh, is a big change. Um, you know, in some ways you would have liked to gotten the Hawkeyes early, but now you're going to get them basically within the same week or two that we've had them for the last few seasons. And so, uh, having Iowa and Wisconsin back to back probably, you know let's be honest, probably those two games will have a large determining factor on who will win the West again this fall. So, um, other than that, it's just a bunch of days mixed up. You know, now you go right from uh, your first three non-conference games headed out for your first Big Ten game is at Michigan State. Michigan State, in theory, is probably going to be ranked in the top ten to start the year. Um, I think we get them the week after they play Washington, which... uh, will be something we'll have to see. Uh, but, the you know, tweaking of the schedule is a little bit interesting. Our, our game at Penn State, October 22nd, now might be a bit of a trap game for the Nittany Lions as they play Michigan the week before, and they probably have a whiteout at home against Ohio State the week after. Um, so James Franklin's probably not going to be thinking too much about Minnesota and the Gophers. Um, as somebody joked on Twitter, I think it was uh, our, our good friend, Mr. Ben Dawson, uh, the fact that the Nebraska game got moved back a few weeks uh, potentially increases the chance that we get a uh, get an interim coach of the Cornhuskers, not necessarily Scott Frost in, in that game. Um, but you still have your, your same crossovers. We're going to see Rutgers at home, so we're going to see uh, Curtis Dunlap and Joe Harris-Simiak uh, coming back to, to Huntington Bank Stadium. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to, to see how, how things shake out. But all in all, uh, no no new teams, just new dates. And so we still got to play the same people we are going to play yesterday. Perhaps, perhaps even better with Nebraska move back, it can be the third straight coach who can get fired because of losing to Minnesota. Now that is a streak I am excited to see continue. <laughs> Let's just put them all on a rail. You play Minnesota late in the season in that in that fourth or fifth year, and we wave goodbye to you. Goodbye to you, sir. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I think for me it mostly just means I don't have to come up with some weird plan to how am I watching Colorado and Iowa and back-to-back weeks at Minnesota when I live in Cincinnati. It absolves me of some of that confusion and complication, which I'm okay with, I think. Oh, wow. Okay, so hockey. We're, we're just getting to hockey. Hockey, um, you know, we talked a lot last week about the Olympics. We still don't know the full impact of what the Olympic roster will do to Minnesota. We find that out, what, tomorrow? Yeah, Thursday uh, Thursday afternoon, 4 o'clock, ESPN2 will be officially announced. Um, 
you know, we, we assume, well, I guess if you read The Athletic tonight, The Athletic confirmed that two more Michigan players are going. They also confirmed, or I guess they confirmed earlier in the week, although somehow it avoided all my attention, that uh, Gopher defenseman Brock Faber has also officially confirmed that he's going. So we know he's going for sure. Um, other two Minnesota players who have been talked about, and I think there's a good chance we will hear their names tomorrow, uh, Ben Myers and uh, Matthew Knees. Uh I think there's a there's a good chance that uh, three Minnesota Gophers will be on the U.S. Olympic team. Uh, actually, four with ties to Minnesota, uh, as at least on the original list was also Aaron Ness, Gopher alum, who's playing in the AHL right now. So, um, yeah, I think you're going to see a, a lot of uh, a lot of Minnesota flair on uh, this Olympic team over in Beijing. Well, that, of course, will have an impact on the Gophers. We'll know for sure exactly how big that impact is when the roster gets announced. In the meantime, we do know a very large piece of the Gophers is no longer uh, playing in maroon and gold. Laffer, wave goodbye. Uh, Fucking Carolina Hurricanes and their absolute decimation of their goalie goalie spot. Uh, That's not good. (laughs) I don't... I don't. I'm not mad at the man. I mean, there's money to be made, but oh, that's not great for the Gophers. No, no. Unfortunately, that's uh, you know there have been two major college hockey players that have left in the last twelve years early, and both of them have been Gophers. Of course, the uh, Kyle Oposo situation with the Islanders back in like 2009 or something like that. But yeah, Jack Lafontaine. Uh, Basically, won, won his first two games in 2022, Friday and Saturday, and uh, Sunday signed a professional deal. So he's with the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, and there's a decent chance that he may actually play in net for the Hurricanes Thursday night. Uh, we'll have to see how that works out. So good for him. Uh, he got a signing bonus. He's got a chance to be on the actual NHL roster, which is something he definitely would not have been guaranteed had he waited till after the season. So um, he had to do what was right for him, and you can't really fault him for that. But yeah, it leaves minnesota in a in a world of hurt um your new starting goalie who we'll see friday night is justin close who's a junior um he's from kinderly saskatchewan uh he's played in six games in his career all in mop-up duty uh, he's never started an actual collegiate game that counted you know he, he played both exhibition games uh two weeks ago and got the wins over St. Thomas and the U.S. under-18 team. So, I mean, we know he can play a little bit, but uh, it's going to be a shock when he gets to play in a game Friday night and it counts for real. Um, what's going to be really interesting is is what are we doing behind close? Uh, so Brennan Boynton, who was the uh, freshman they brought in, he played with Fargo the USHL last year. Everybody thought he was going to be the backup for sure. Well, he missed most of the first part of the season with uh, COVID. He had COVID, and then he had another injury issue that kept him out. Well, now apparently, um, you know, he's sort of been it's one of those things that you never get the full story, but for whatever reason, there seems to be some type of communication issue between Bob Motzko and him. And, and Boynton does not really necessarily look like he's going to be looking to get any time. In fact, I think we'll get a, a clearer view if he doesn't play in one of the two games this weekend against Alaska at home. Um, you wonder if Boynton's going to be on the team next year, which is going to be really interesting. Add that to the fact that it's not officially announced yet, but it sure looks like Minnesota obviously needing a third goalie. Uh, they're going to be going back to the USHL early and bringing in Owen Bartikiewicz, 
who is their uh, recruit who was potentially going to come in next year. Actually, they'd hoped he might even stay in the USHL until 2023. Um, but it sounds like they're going to be pulling him early, and he's going to be enrolling at the U for the second semester, which starts next week, and and he'll be the, the third goaltender on the roster. Um, the interesting thing, again, about that is is you don't necessarily pull somebody in a semester early to sit them on the bench. So what uh, what exactly what exactly Bob Motzko is going to do with the goalie situation here over the next seven weeks is going to be uh, rather interesting, and won't not, you know besides having implications for the rest of this season may have implications on on the Gopher net going forward. Um, whether whether he trusts you know some of these guys to be the goalies next year or whether they have to go hit the transfer portal hard over the summer to try and bring somebody in to compete for a job so uh it's it's a mess to to say the least uh but at least uh you know they can try and ease into it with a, a non-conference series their final non-conference series uh, against the alaska nanooks this weekend um was originally supposed to be the first weekend of the year got postponed because alaska had covid oh by the way um uh, that will be the other thing that Minnesota is dealing with is not only are they missing uh, two players with injuries, um, but apparently there's three or four Gophers that currently have COVID right now, according to Motzko in his press conference the other day. So uh, the Gophers may be playing a, a rather short roster this weekend against Alaska. Um, Thank God it's so, only Alaska. I mean, so yeah, it's, 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 it, but the thing is, is in this new college hockey landscape, you could say, thank God it's only Alaska, but a loss or two against Alaska pretty much screws you in the pairwise due to all the comparisons and things like that. So honestly, a loss against Alaska probably hurts more than, say, a loss if you were playing Penn State, to be brutally honest. Um so yeah, it, it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting weekend at uh, 3M Arena, seeing who actually can play, um, seeing who's going to play in net, and then it'll be probably the the you know second to the last home series uh, next week against Michigan being the last one that we'll see uh, Ben Myers and, and Brock Faber and, and Matthew Nyes on the ice at least till the uh, final week of the regular season. All right, for the women, I'm going to recap uh, last weekend. They played St. Thomas. They swept St. Thomas. Wasn't close. This weekend, uh, they have another one of those split series with uh, Minnesota State Mankato. Uh, I would assume we're anticipating a sweep of as well, because what is it, like 59 straight wins against Minnesota State? I'll have to find the exact number when I write the preview, but it's it's it is legitimately something like that. I think it's only like fifty three, but yes, Minnesota has not lost to Minnesota State since I think two thousand nine. Okay, so, so uh, we should we don't ideally that be to happen this weekend. Yeah, so we should ideally be seeing another sweep, which then uh, sets up Wisconsin coming to Minneapolis uh, on the twenty first and twenty second. So when it comes to the women, that's what we're keeping our eye on. Hopefully. Uh, the women do a better job of keeping uh, their attention on the Mavericks, uh, but until then, uh, we'll just uh, we'll just we'll mark them down in our heads for a sweep, because uh, they, they damn well better. Um, wow, that's we've had a lot. I didn't expect this much football, but we're not done either. Because if I'm not mistaken, the gymnastics team is number nine in the nation. 
Yeah, I was going to say, it, it, this is the, the winter sports season. You know, normally we're, we're transitioning away from football. Football has kept us busy this week. But, yeah, the winter sports season is, is picking up and going full bore. Uh, you know, you still have all the teams that have been playing, you know, for the last two, three months in the volleyball or in the uh, basketballs and the hockeys. But, yeah, women's gymnastics, number nine in the nation. Uh, they open up their season Monday, a Martin Luther King Day matinee, uh, hosting number eight UCLA. So that should be a fun one at the PAV. Um so go out and, and check that out if you're free and need something to do on MLK Day. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, the Gophers, uh, they're, they're predicted to finish second in the Big Ten this year. Uh, Michigan, the reigning national champions, and are ranked number one to start the year as well. So um, hopefully the Gophers can uh, show off. And they've got uh, in, in Ona Loper and Lexi Ramler, two legitimate fifth-year senior who, uh, who have NCAA championship aspirations both of them um you know finished in the top three top four both all around in individual events at the ncaa championships last year and they definitely have a, a good shot to do it this year so um this team you know women's gymnastics obviously i know it's probably not that entertaining to, to many of our listeners but uh they've got a good one and they've got a couple of uh, athletes that are uh, some of the best in the nation so definitely try and give them attention here over the next couple of months yeah, some of the best in Gopher history, which, you know, in the gymnastics program, you know, is not a, a small thing to say. So, all right, friends, uh, it is that time, a time to call an end to the SkyU podcast. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, COVID's a thing. It's still getting worse. Get your damn shots if you haven't yet. And if you have, wear your masks so that, you know, we can keep going to football games without dying and stuff in the fall. Salty about it. Let's not screw it up. Ah, but until then, uh, look for all that great content on the blog. And in the meantime, go Gophers. Sky you ma. Row the boat. Mm-hmm.